Welcome to the Dirt Reporters podcast for the week of December 28th. I'm your host, D-Swab, Derek Kessinger, joined by the editorial staff of Kevin Kovac, Robert Holman, and Kyle McFadden. And Kovac, it's hard to believe it's the final week of 2022 as we enter the 52nd week of the year. Whirlwind of a season, crazy year. What's just like something looking back on it that you're going to remember most from this season? Uh, well, I, I will remember that Ashton Winger McCarter fight there back from uh, in in Tennessee in uh, in mid July, I think it was. I mean, I think ever, I wasn't at it. I wasn't at that race, but just watching that the video of that happening, and it was like, oh my! First, it was Winger takes that wild flip. That's probably one of the wildest flips uh, there was in the entire season, and then all hell breaking loose and. Uh, Gary Winger, Ashton's dad, going coming up on the on the on the motorbike, going up to McCarter's car, and Ashton jumping in the side. I mean, he said that that was an indelible mark of the season. That was just craziness uh, right there in front of you on video. Yeah, we last week's show we did, gave out Christmas presents. Maybe we could have got um, Ashton and Gary some uh, anger management courses or something because they were they were fired up and rightfully so. That was a crazy incident and something I would never see Gary Winger do honestly I've just known him you know these last 12 years always seems like a quiet well-mannered guy but apparently if your son goes like goes on a wild crash look out Gary Winger is like a bulldog so be ready for that yeah that was one to remember Robert crazy that we're at the final week isn't it what's something really quick that stood out to you this season uh yeah it's it is crazy that we have reached uh the end of the year for sure uh, I hope everyone here, I know we, we definitely, you know, this is a recording prior to Christmas, but, uh, as we head towards the new year, uh, I hope everyone had a great Christmas. And, uh, I, I would probably say that for what stood out I, last year, I went to like seven new tracks in 21 and 22. I only went to, I think three new tracks, but one of them for me was, uh, Vada went out to New Mexico and, and, uh, actually didn't fly out there i i drove out there with my brother and my daughter my college age daughter and my my two nephews who were like four and six so that was a when you say that was a trip that was a reminiscent of a a chevy chase vacation type trip it was uh definitely different you know about 20 hours out 20 hours back 40 41 hours round trip so uh, to me, that just jumps off the chart in terms of personally uh, of what what I what I did this this year. And of course, I enjoyed getting out to Vado, by the way, and that's coming up. You know, it's coming up again here very shortly in like a week or so. So if you've never been out there and you have a chance to go, that is an immaculate facility. Uh, I really, really, really recommend uh, trying to get out there for, uh, you know, if you're for a day or two for one of the weekends if you can't go for the whole week it is a a really great uh, uh facility there immaculate that you should go check out yeah and we'll be starting that in like eight or eight or nine days when this thing gets released so wild bless you that's always a good one kyle first year on the dirt on dirt full year oh not quite a full year but you know just the first season how uh what caught your eye here in 2022 yeah just honestly the amount of after covering some sprint car racing in the past few years and coming on over to the late model beat, it's there are so many big races in our sport, right? I mean, uh, the blue gray 100 or yeah, the blue gray 100 and, and uh, you know, just all these races, right. That uh, can cross you up. Um, not even cross, cross a newbie or I'm not even a newbie when it comes to late models, but in terms of an insider, obviously now at dirt on dirt um you know my first eight or so months here it's it's been just how much like i didn't even realize just like how widespread late model racing is around the country you know like michigan and and kansas and even out in oregon right i mean preston luckman who i did a story on for the um summer nationals like he's from Oregon and like, I didn't even know, I mean, just the, the, just how widespread our sport is across, uh, you know, the U S I, I, uh, 
being in in my PA Maryland bubble and you know I just uh after getting out to I think I visited like 20 states this year I didn't see a race in 20 states but I had counted just like how many states I had put a foot on or at least had visited or seen or drove through and and just all through our travels or all through my travels you know covering dirt lake model racing across the country so I mean it's it's uh it's remarkable and that's one that's for sure the biggest most striking thing that uh I take away from this first year and so just how widespread the sport is and just uh all the all the big races you know I mean that's obviously no secret but you know when you're covering it weekend and and week out it it's uh it's surely astonishing and we get more of it next year too so yeah congrats on you know first year I, what did you start again it's got to be getting close right or was it right after speed weeks it was uh april oh you're not quite getting there though getting there seems so. like you've been here forever being on this podcast just uh how many times we do it a year obviously 52 so pretty cool yeah that's that's great that you remember that most mine's gonna be january speed weeks Almost, almost 365 days ago, I'm going to go Dale McDowell winning, you know, just months after, you know, having prostate cancer surgery uh, at Volusia when it was rough and tumble. He just looked like a savvy veteran out there. He was very emotional in victory lane. That was a feel-good story to see the Mac Daddy uh, to kick off speed weeks, which, you know, Volusia kind of had their storylines at the racetrack and stuff, but I think that overpowered it. Um, Dale McDowell just putting on a clinic at Volusia Kovac. That's something I'll always remember. And a guy that's always good at interviews, always has good insights. He's one of the older guys, 55, I think, at the time when he won that. And uh, he made it look pretty easy that day. And I just, one of those things where you, something bad happens, it just seems like the world always repays you, whether it's a higher power or something that repays you in a good way. And he definitely capitalized on it in January at Volusia. And you knew when he won that he'd be introspective about it, you know, like, uh, and talk about how uh, uh, the thoughts that he had, hey, maybe I won my last race, you never know when you're going to win your last race. And, you know, you, you think about your mortality and all that. And, uh, and, and for, he, he's always very thoughtful of, of what he says. And, and, and for him to win that race coming back from that surgery and that health scare, uh, that was that was pretty cool. I was one of the, probably one of the best interviews of the year. One of the best moments. I was one of the best moments of the year for sure in dirt late model racing. Yeah, I think it got to number four on the list. I think it comes out today when this thing, you know, uh, airs. So the 28th um, for today, since we're recording this, you know, Christmas week, we wanted to kind of enjoy the holidays. We're doing a pre-recording. So we're kind of going to do a general topic again like we did last week. But I want to know your guys' origin stories of us, just how you got involved in racing. What drove you to go to the racetrack to get a job professionally here? Because obviously everybody started going to the races at some point, and we're all kind of different parts of the country, except for, I guess, you know, Kovac and um, Kyle McFadden are kind of in a closer northeast pocket, but they went to different racetracks growing up, so they probably have a different view on things. So I kind of just wanted to get that. Robert? I want to know your origin story. When did you start going to the racetrack? Was it a family thing or just maybe one day dad's like, Hey kids, let's go. No, I was, uh, I was five or six years old. My stepfather raced. Um, I was probably about six, I guess. My stepfather was a race car driver. And, uh, so it's just what we did. You know, once, uh, when my mom started, uh, dating him, uh, they, uh, I think got married when I was in 1978, they got married when I was eight years old. So, and they, they, I guess it was, I was, like I said, six, when we started going, uh, first went to Winchester, Tennessee speedway. And, uh, you know, I remember, you know, falling asleep in the bleachers, uh, people are, are older listeners, you know, will remember that there was a time when women didn't really go in the pit area, uh, women and kids, they, that was unheard of to, to see women and children in the pits. So, at that young age, I didn't go, I wasn't able to go in the pits with, uh, my, with my stepdad. And so I sat in the stands uh, and it was, you know, his sister went, uh, his sisters and his mom went. And, and of course, then my mom, so we all just sat there together and, and, and watched the race. And I, I, I literally just grew up and I, I was away for it here and there, but I've always, I've always been, you know, I'm, uh, I'm 52 now. So you're 40, 46 years. I've, 
I've been involved in it in some shape, form, or fashion. So uh, uh, it's just uh, it was this family thing, you know. And I remember almost every single car that he had, uh, paint schemes, types of cars, um, the smell of the shop when he's built. You know, back then you built your own stuff. He bought a few cars and rebuilt them or whatever. But you know, just uh, I remember. Just like I said, the smells of the shop and the the in the wintertime, especially that was one of the best because the shop's closed up. You've got a wood heater going and he's in there with a cutting torch and a welder and, and building cars and stuff. And uh, it was, you know, the old trucks, the, the old car haulers. He had a 55, 56 GMC uh, one time had flames going down the hood of it. You know, that was really unique that he that he hauled stuff with. We never had fancy stuff. Uh, so, I mean, it was just, um, it's just a family just turned into a family thing, you know, that I, that I just almost couldn't get out of. When were you allowed to start tuning on the race car? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, the first time, you know, I remember I, I've, I've had some very embarrassing moments at the racetrack. Uh, I'm not sure I really should have ever been allowed to tune on anything. Uh, I remember, uh, going to the racetrack and we've had had a good run going and somebody forgot to put gas in the car fuel in the car which wasn't my responsibility uh i remember you know i remember one time we we were running second or third in a race and uh i was there when i was probably 15 or 16 at this point because my friend from one of my my best friend from high school was, was there with me and uh, I think we, um, Jimmy is my stepdad. He was running second or third in this race, and all of a sudden the hood just. And we we'd already graduated to you know aluminum body cars by that time. It's like eighty six probably, and I remember the hood blows up off the car, and because uh, somebody didn't put the hood pins back on it after we had been doing some stuff before the feature, and my friend Darren looks at me. And he's like, was that you? And I'm just like, shook my head and put my hands in my, in my pockets. And there were the hood pins in my pockets, you know? So I'm not really hundred percent sure I should have ever been allowed to tune on anything, but, uh, you know, I started changing gears and, and stuff like that when I was about 13, I guess, uh, changing tires and mountain tires and, and, uh, you know, and I did more tire work actually back then than I, than I did anything, whether it be grooving tires and basically Basically, basically grooving tires, washing the car, and changing gears was about all I was allowed to do until I was about 18 years old. Hey, well, you're still a very important part to the race team, even up to when they only did let you do minimal tuning stuff to the race car. I, I held my own. We didn't, like I said, we had a lot of people that helped us back then. My stepdad was really a pretty popular local racer uh, with, with a, a lot of a lot of fans, but, uh, we never really took on many sponsors. We never, he always paid for it out of his own pocket. As, as I got towards high school age, we owned a couple of businesses. He, uh, my stepdad owned a car lot and he, a used car lot and we owned a restaurant that was our primary source of income. And, uh, and he used that money to, to race. And, uh, during those years was probably his, his most successful uh, seasons simply because he had the means to do it. But again, I, I was just um, a very small part at that time. Hey, well, every, that's pretty good start, start to the origin story of Robert Holman. We'll get back to you here in a second. Uh, Kyle McFadden, how about you? You're a lot, you're a lot younger than all of us. We could probably remember guys who won races when you first started going like pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, uh, you know, my dad, he took me, started taking me to the track. Like, I don't remember. I don't think, I don't know if anybody remembers. I mean, if you're young, really young, obviously, I don't think anybody can recall your first race too vividly. I don't recall my, my first race. I was probably, honestly, I probably wasn't, you know, too far removed from the womb when my dad started taking me uh, to dirt tracks like Hagerstown Speedway in Maryland and then Winchester Speedway in Virginia. Those were the two tracks uh, within an hour and a half of where I live in Frederick, Maryland. Uh, those were the two tracks that 
I didn't get out really much at all outside of those two racetracks. And so, yeah, I mean, my dad was always had had always been into racing because his dad was in the racing and my uh, my granddad, he even sponsored a few late models uh, in the Virginia area back in the day. He owned owned a countertop business. Um, and, uh, this was, uh, you know, obviously long before, um, you know, I was even a thought, but, um, but no, it, it, it started with my granddad and then it trickled down to my dad. And then obviously, you know, I was the lucky one that, or, or I'm the one now that's able to, to kind of reap the benefits of, of their, of their, uh, passions, you know, and, uh, being able to now work in the sport and being able to present it to the masses. And so, but yeah, I mean, I never worked on race cars, never had a chance to drive a race car, you know, I was just, just a fan and, you know, had always liked to, to write and tell stories. And um, obviously, you know, I'm a big basketball fan too, just uh, love the game of basketball and other stick and ball sports. And so, you know, had those other avenues, those other areas of life, you know, competing for my interests. And so, um, but, you know, there's obviously always something about dirt racing that had always um, gotten or, or brought the best out of me, so to speak, you know, um, just, uh, just, just going to the races and, and um, as uh, I mean, I was going through some old results on dirt on dirt to, to try to try to, uh, unearth some of my memory here. And, uh, I remember going to the 2008 Lucas oil race at Winchester speedway when Earl Pearson won. I remember, uh, he won that race and, and that blue, uh, number 44, uh, what chassis did he run? Oh, master's built. Um, and then Jimmy Owens came second, you know, like I, re I remember that race now looking back through the results um, back in 08. So I was uh, I was 12 then. So um, and that was the Lucas Oil Series first ever race at Winchester. So I remember that race. And so, you know, just it's it's cool to go through the website and and look back at the the just how much history, you know, dirt on dirt and, you know, Todd, Todd Turner and Michael Rigsby, all the, all the OG uh, employees, the founders, you know, the, of, uh, of dirt on dirt, preserving the history. So guys like me can go back and, and, and uh, refresh and rejog the memory and, uh, you know, just try to recall the good old days, um, so to speak. So, how old were you in 2008? I was 12. Oh my gosh, so, I was drinking beer then. God, you're so young. I was 12. So, who was uh, your favorite driver? Who was my favorite driver? It was Bart Hartman. Oh, uh, there you go. Former World, World 100 winner. Yeah, he came second that year, I, I think, in the Lucas Old Points. And so, um, Bart was my favorite national touring guy uh, growing up. I don't know why. You know, I don't, you know, he, had a cool looking race car, I guess, you know, that a yellow number 75, I had a little die cast of, uh, of Bart's and every, every kid that ever, ever owns a die cast who is into dirt late model racing or dirt racing in general would obviously go out or go to go outside and, and, and carve out a mini, you know, racetrack in the dirt or in the grass or in the, in the, you know, just some kind of toy racetrack that was me um as a as a kid so a lot of good days a lot of good memories uh now that are you know kind of coming back to me so yeah I was I was a pup so still kind of am to some degree but Kovac we know your favorite driver we're not going to get in too much detail Billy Pouch uh legend in the big block world even as a world of outlaw sprint car win right couple more couple. than one you well, know, big one won, at the mile one of the big ones yeah the super nationals at the syracuse mile in 1994 fastest uh lap ever in a sprint car also up there it's 100 almost 150 miles an hour i think he went so you've been in this industry for a long time you pretty much started 
writing articles for press releases, like year in like articles, right? But you, what, what was like, you didn't do that right away. When was the first time you went to the racetrack? And I heard that there was like a superhero that you were a big fan of at Flemington. Yeah. Well, I can remember like the exact first race I ever went to. And it was in, it was Labor Day weekend of 1982. Uh, and I was nine years old then. My father had gone to the races some, you know, Flemington. I grew up in central New Jersey. So Flemington Speedway, the old uh, five-eighths mile square-shaped track, a uh, fairgrounds track was uh, 15 minutes from us. And he, you know, my father used to go there sometimes. My mother really didn't want to go. You know, she would actually, her sister would go with my father sometimes. And that was the first time I went that Labor Day weekend. It was during the Flemington Fair. They would have races at night and they'd have a demo derby in the afternoon and I used to always go to the Flemington Fair. I used to see the fire trucks going around there with their parade and stuff. But I would never want—I never wanted to go to a dirt race. My father wanted to take me. Never wanted to go. Uh, I always—I uh, said I was waiting until the Indy cars were there when I was a kid because I, you know, I remember Indy cars were on TV, the Indy 500 and stuff at at that point. NASCAR wasn't even really on TV too much at that point. Uh, so I go to the demo derby with my father and my aunt. Uh, in the afternoon at Flemington, my mother was supposed to come pick me up after the demo derby and my mother, my father and aunt were going to stay at the race at the big block modified race that night. But then my aunt's like, no, we're not going outside to wait for your mom, you know, to come pick you up. And so we ended up staying. I stayed with my, my father and aunt at the racetrack. We went and looked at the cars, the modifieds as they're coming in on the back stretch into the track. And there was a uh, Billy Pouch, my, you know, again, a, a legend in the Northeast. And he was driving a car then. It was the, it wasn't a number. It was an L on it, it for the Lydell brothers. It was called, and everybody would just be a big L, cursive L on the side. And everyone would just say, he goes like L, you know, hell. But I was on the t-shirts and all. So I see him, everybody had open trailers then. And my, my father said, yeah, that's Billy Pouch sitting in the passenger seat, of, you know, I mean, sitting behind the wheel of the of the pickup truck waiting to get into the pits. And, and he introduced me, he said, there's Billy Pouch. And Pouch said, hey, what's up, bud? You know, uh, he just gave me a little point. So I was instantly a Billy Pouch fan. Cool race car. He goes, he wins the race. I'm hooked. I went to the 200 lapper at the end of the year at Flemington another next month. Uh, Billy Pouch wins again in the number 15 car, though, of his own. And. And then the next year, 83, started going to some more races with my dad that, that every week at Flemington. And next thing you know, we're going to other racetracks around Nazareth and Pennsylvania and Orange County and New York and uh, East Windsor and New Jersey. I mean, we're just going, we started going all over the place. My father was a, was retired. He was older. So he was, uh, he was able to get to some races. And, uh, and then I, next thing you know, I liked writing and I wrote Billy Pouch's uh, little season review thing for his off-season party and i wrote that a couple years and when i was 16 in 1989 uh started writing for the area auto racing news the weekly trade paper in new jersey and i was i was it was either get a job during the summer or like you know do something like that and be able to get into free of the races by writing about them and, and learning how to write you know that could be a, a job someday and and that's what I did. And next thing in, in and then within a year of writing for a daily paper about the races, writing for a magazine and actually making some money from it. So, and it just went from there and uh, stuff, so, but now I've gone to 200 rate over 200 racetracks and gone all kinds of late model races, sprint car races, modified races, asphalt modifieds. I covered them too. Uh, super modified. I mean, I covered all the other, every kind of division there was in the in short tracks, really, it seems like. And, uh, and it's, I've never done, I've never had a real job other than racing, I guess, <laughs> uh, full time. So it's just been, uh, area auto racing news world of outlaws and dirt on dirt. That is wild. Not too many people can say they've done that their whole career. I could say, yeah, it is. That's it's, 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 it's gone pretty, uh, so the if the doctor, know. so if the doctor would have won the first race, you would you have been a Danny Johnson fan? Well, I don't know about that. See, I mean, again, I won, I, I, I became the Billy Pouch fan because I was the first guy I saw. I, I immediately knew someone to watch. You know, my father says, "Hey, that guy's the the hot guy here." You know, at Flemington, and and he had a cool car. It said, "It said the T-shirts all said go like L." It was a it was neat. It stood out, red and yellow and white. Uh, and then he wins, and you go in the pits afterward. And that's one thing I always remember, like as a kid, going in the pits after the races at, at Flemington and. Billy Pouch would just sit there on the like pretty usually on the side of his trailer and the 
or in the back or something. And, and just, there'd be a, us kids would just be a line of us waiting to go talk to him. And he talked to everybody. I mean, he was so, he, if he could have dropped out on the first lap of the feature, he was still there in the pits talking to all the kids. And, and I felt like, I mean, that's what we wanted to go. I wanted to go watch him at, you know, in Fonda, New York, or, and we went to Volusia in 86 and 87 to watch him run the modified during speed weeks. You know, you just, I mean, like that's becomes your hero when you see a guy that will talk to these kids. I mean, he was so good with the kids. Like he would, he would never like above, he would never stand above when I was a member, can remember as a kid, he'd never stand above me. You know, he'd always be like, he'd always kneel down or he'd be sitting on the side kind of at the kid's level. And I thought that was always pretty cool. And, and I think that was a, a, a way that kind of made him connect a little even better with the kids. It wasn't just like towering over these kids, sign an autograph. Hey, see you later. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it just made you want to go to races. And uh, I, I hooked onto that. And that's why I loved going to the races. So you're kind of watching him. But Danny Johnson, he was a New Yorker too, Derek. He didn't run in New Jersey. I barely ever, I didn't see Danny Johnson race until uh, the doctor and to a couple years uh, because he he never really came down in New Jersey there. And I didn't go up to New York yet. And then I saw him and he was all, and I saw him as a rival to Billy Pat. Oh, so my. I couldn't Call, root for him. Hey, I, no was a, bad, I was a one man guy right then, you know, no more bad talk about the doctor, the rest of the show, no, Robert, but I did. I got a lot of pictures of him from the old days. Robert, though, so. did you really have a favorite driver like Kovac growing up? Or are you just all team, you know, Jimmy Gray motorsports? I mean, probably you didn't really cheer for anybody else. Did you? Uh, I mean, I definitely had a favorite driver. It's clearly Jeff Purvis, um, just because he was that national guy who we actually raced against on occasion. He would come to Winchester when he was uh, not really first making a name for himself, but I mean, I guess uh, he was he was very well established already. But uh, I remember a race in I don't know eighty. 83 or 84 they had an open competition race at, at winchester and uh and purvis was there and my stepdad was driving for someone else at the time and uh we ran sixth in that race and did not get lapped it was i don't know if it was a 50 lap race or a 100 lap race and we finished sixth and purvis won it and we were the last car on the lead lap and i'm telling you it was like a win for us because uh you know we didn't have a big motor uh I, I can't i don't even think we put the wing on the cars back when you could you know cars the old camaros and stuff and uh you could run wings on them and i don't even think we put the wing on the car for that race because i think i remember that was one thing that i remember on the way home uh i wrote at by that time i was riding to the track with with my stepdad i was 12 13 years old and going in the pits and stuff and and um uh, I remember on the way home, he was complaining about the people he was happened to be driving for at the time about uh, obviously not wanting to win the race or not taking the time to put the wing on the car. Um, and I'm, when I say wing, I mean a sprint car for anyone listening who doesn't know, go back and look at some pictures from the mid 80s. It was an actual sprint car wing that we ran on this, this car. Um, and uh, so Purvis was probably it, you know, he was the, you know, from Clarksville, Tennessee, about two hours away. Uh, he came to Winchester and won a lot. And then not only did he win at Winchester pretty much any time he unloaded, but he was that guy who went out on the national deal and, and I would read about in the papers winning elsewhere. So, so for us to get to race against him, uh, he was just this larger than life character at the time you know i remember him coming to winchester on a with his uh uh pickup truck and uh he had a car hauler as well uh sideboards on him and i just remember almost all of his cars too the the wing on his car and i remember the, i remember then the night that uh one night at winchester then i remember the announcers saying congratulations to to jeff purvis who uh who got married at a, maybe that that week or something so i, I remember the, the week he got married so it was definitely purpose for me and uh i always have always was always have been a, a jeff Purvis fan i would tell you and you know and and this is one of those moments when when i i one of those stop moments you go say where am i at what's going on uh last year year before last uh jeff Purvis started following me on twitter uh so huge news uh, oh my god i mean you just don't know i mean for for your childhood hero 
to follow you back on Twitter. Uh, it, it was just a surreal moment that I'm like, stop my wife, you know, it's like, guess what happened to me today? It was, it was one of those kind of moments, you know, look what happened to me, you know, Jeff Purvis is following me on Twitter. He was that kind of, that kind of person. So, so for me, yeah, definitely Jeff Purvis. Yeah. He was larger than life. Kind of like the Bo Jackson, just what could have been like if he would have stayed in the sport, because when he was in it for that short amount of time, he was flat out dominant. But if he asked Scott Bloomquist, he was the one that, you know, kind of forced him to go other ways because the voodoo child, I mean, he just, that he said that to Dave Despain, like five or six years ago, maybe more, longer than that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I remember Scott also, you know, when I'm in, and, and when I was 17, 18 years old, he came to Winchester as well. And, and one, I went over, I think it was 89. I went to uh, over to his trailer and bought a, bought a t-shirt you know uh scott bloomquist shirt because it was the year after he had won the world 188 and it was a pink pink and blue and it was a white shirt had pink and blue and black writing on it and it had his uh had his stuff on the back about winning at eldora and stuff so uh so i i became as as weird as it is i became a scott bloomquist fan uh, as well and then of course when purvis you know a few years later graduated or, or decided to go asphalt racing I just naturally became a Bloomquist fan. Yeah, both great drivers, both Hall of Famers, both, you know, just guys in that area close to Robert. He definitely was a hotbed for late model racing, you know, in the 80s for sure. You can't really argue that. But you know what? Your guys' origin story doesn't include America's dirt track, Kovac, like me, you know. Used to go to, remember growing up, my dad would always take me to the races, uh, Farmer City, Fairbury, especially on Saturdays, Kankakee a few times. Um, then my parents, you know, separated. Uh, then my mom moved two blocks away north of the racetrack. So, you know, every summer just walking there. But one of the origin story, one of the funniest stories I got, might embarrass my dad, just one of the first memories. It was Prairie Dirt Classic, I would probably say 95. So I'd have been like six. And Billy Moyer's on cruise control. He's lapping people. Well, Snooky Dame, that's my dad's favorite driver. You know, Prairie Dirt Classic winner as well. He was getting ready to get lapped. Well, apparently it was tough to pass that night, and Billy Boyer kind of took out Snooky Dame, which, you know, looking back at it now, you're like, yeah, well, get out of the way, Snooky. Did you not see the blue flag? Spun out Snooky Dame. He might have been running like eighth or ninth at the time just because, you know, Billy Boyer would lap the field like this. Hits the wall. I just remember my dad taking his, like, plastic cup mug full of cold beer. Sorry, Dad, this is a true story. Threw it on the ground in the like in the stands, the wood stands, and this thing shattered and just went everywhere. Just pieces flying, debris flying, hitting kids, hitting fans. I'm like, I've never seen this angry side of my dad, like just showing this raw emotion of his favorite driver, just you know, getting spun out by a Hall of Famer and Billy Moyer. And I just, I don't know, that one always stands out to me. I think my dad was kind of like, man, why the hell did I do that? But I just remember hitting like kids and people around us and everybody's kind of looking at him he's like and then you know just years later he's like well he shouldn't have rain over you know snooky dame like at least pass him cleanly who knew sludge this? all right i gotta just say sludge yeah, go sludge sludge my dad that all, everybody knows him in the pit area he's always going to the races he's retired now kind of looks exactly like me so i'll probably look like him here in about 40 years but uh, yeah that was just one of those memories that just stuck out to me um i don't know just going to a racetrack like that you think like every single racetrack in the country is like this. And then you start traveling to other ones once you start getting that job and stuff. And you're like, okay, we got a damn lucky here. You know, it falls. Um, I don't know. Another great moment was probably the 1999 world 100 was my first one. My dad said I couldn't go in, until I was 10. Uh, Steve Francis won. I still take credit for his big win there at Eldora Speedway, just because it was my first time ever there. And just like Bob Pierce winning the race, First time an Illinois guy can win it. Then his like door panel sale like opens up and it's rubbing on his tire and he pulls out and he'll get that fixed. Kevin Weaver was like running second ahead of Steve France at the time, got a flat tire. So heartbreaking D swab back in the day, 1999. But to see Steve Francis win it and uh was pretty special. So those are some cool memories. Uh Kovac, did you always think or Kyle, did you uh, what was like your uh, moment where you're like, man, I could do this professionally and like go into it. Like, did you start riding like freelancing like Kovac did for Ariato or how'd you get hooked up to that? And 
I don't know. I think it's, I never really thought like when I was younger that I would do this type of thing and, you know, cover dirt late mile racing like I am now. Yeah, I graduated. So I graduated high school in 2014. And at that time, like my goal was to break into a newspaper like the Baltimore Sun or the Washington Post and cover like the Baltimore Orioles uh, for Washington Redskins for uh, the Washington Post. And so, but then, yeah, in like dirt racing, like I, I would, I was still following it. I was still going to a handful of races um, around that time um, at high school graduation. And, but like, that wasn't like an option really at the time. It didn't seem like if there was a job that, you know, that I could uh, try to pursue at the time, eight or nine years ago, and I didn't know about it, but uh, that just didn't seem like it was available. It, you know, didn't seem feasible. And so, but uh, ended up doing some work out for the Baltimore sun and, and, like freelancing for the Washington Post, just like stick and ball stuff and covered um, some college basketball. And I was just feeling my way through trying to get as much experience and, and, and kind of testing the waters of, of these different sports. And for up until about 2018, I, my goal then was, okay, I, I think I can, I think I can cover college basketball. Um, and then changed paths. I wanted to become a teacher. I went back to school to try to get my teaching degree um, because I, I just didn't uh, just kind of like looking around at, at all these local newspapers, all the newspapers. Uh, I just didn't uh, feel like it, it was my best interest to continue in, in, in the newspaper route uh and in journalism really at that time i just didn't didn't feel comfortable so I went back to school in 2018 and 19 try to get my teaching degree and then covid covid changed everything because i was only a few Damn semesters Coco. i was only a few semesters away from actually getting my teaching degree or or, or getting my aa at my local a community college to transfer out but then COVID hit in March of 2020 flipped obviously the whole world upside down and uh these um you know racing started to open back up during the height of COVID uh sprint car racing uh specifically in Pennsylvania so I would get I was working at Wegmans uh the mega grocery store or the mega supermarket in the northeast um and I would get off on the weekends to go cover sprint car racing for speed sport. At the time I, I had made a connection there. I had reached out to somebody on Twitter, basically saying like, Hey, like I'm an hour ish from, from like Lincoln speedway and Abbottstown and Williams Grove. I'm not far from Port Royal. Like these tracks are opening up during COVID. Like I'm sure you guys would appreciate some coverage. And, you know, I figured then if it was, any time for me to try to make this writing thing happen again, why, why not try during a global pandemic, you know, when there's nothing else going on in the world. Uh, so yeah, well, one thing just led to the next and um, happened to, it just, yeah, just one thing led to the next one door closed, another opened and it just, it was the steady, kind of progression you know and I had and it's it's just it's just interesting where life takes you right I mean I I grew up loving dirt late model racing um at least you know in my area going to Hagerstown in Maryland and then Winchester Speedway in Virginia like those, I never got outside of those two racetracks those two racetracks I was there as a kid but I mean like those were uh you know just I thought that I loved or had a ton of knowledge about dirt lane model racing as a kid until I, you know, met you guys and stepped out to, to, to cover it on the national scene on national basis here. And it's just how much I like missed, I guess, as a kid, you know, like, I'm gonna be honest, like, I didn't really know 
much about Billy Moyer personally and his backstory and just how accomplished he really is until I started working here at Dirt on Dirt. You know, obviously I, I knew of, of Scott Bloomquist and had watched him intently and had followed him as a kid, but a guy like Billy Moyer, I didn't, I didn't really know much about. Um, so, but as far as, you know, covering dirt late model racing, it's just, uh, you know, the opportunity opened up, you know, to start the year here at Dirt on Dirt and at a time where, you know, I was thinking about getting back out of journalism again, just because my previous opportunity uh, at the at the previous publication I was working at wasn't really working. And uh, it just, uh, I just got fortunate. So um, always, always knew I could do it. I always knew I could write um, and, and work a beat professionally. I always knew I could, it was just a matter of finding the niche, finding my wheelhouse kind of, you know, just uh, making it, making it, uh, making it my home. So uh, dirt racing is, is, has my heart, you know, dirt late, dirt late model racing as a, as a kid, you know, growing up and can't, you know, couldn't wait to get out of school on Friday and, 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 and uh, get up the road to the racetrack. And so um, it's, it's just, um, but I'm grateful for, for all of my past experiences and covering college basketball and working for or freelancing for just uh, as as many newspapers as I could get in contact with. And then for uh, it was uh, it was like 2018 ish. Also, I was uh, writing weekly for the Herald Mail newspaper in Hagerstown. So I would go to Hagerstown Speedway and, and try to provide some some coverage there, some feature stories for from some weekly racers there, some regional racers in the Mid-Atlantic region, guys that race at Hagerstown regularly too. So I was still keeping my foot in the door and, you know, in the dirt racing world back in 2018 um, or, or also testing out too you know, just, uh, you know, trying to expand, um, my, uh, versatility, um, in the, in the sports I cover. And so, but, but even back in like 2018, I didn't think, you know, this would be possible now, but, and I'm glad that, that that's changed. Cause it's, uh, there is after covering so many different sports and personalities and, you know, there's, there's there's no realm there's no uh area or uh part of society that is more colorful and passionate than dirt late model racing dirt racing people fans everybody that's involved in the sport drivers you know businesses anybody that has a working function has an interest uh makes this thing happen um i don't you know, all the stories that we get to tell in dirt lay model racing, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's truly captivating and, uh, honestly wouldn't want to be covering any other sport. Um, if, if I'm being honest, so yeah, that, that'd be my long, long winded answer. I mean, that yeah. was, you wrote a pretty much a 5,000 page thesis right there of how you became into racing, but it was interesting. I'm glad that you're uh, in the late model world now. Thank you there, Derek. I'm, I'm glad I'm here. You know, it's, uh, it's been an adjustment, but um, just after like bouncing around to all these different sports, it's just kind of my hope and prayer was I just want to land on my feet somewhere one day. And now, now we have, so I'm just thankful to just be settled in. So it's, it's, it's a good place to be. Robert, for your professional career, BFS with Todd for a little while, you, uh, Saul Rigsby at Redbird Arena one time, and he came up and talked to you before even well started uh, Dirt on Dirt. I think that's like probably one of the wildest stories that we might have, just like how we all interlinked, you know, years prior before even working full time at DOD. Yeah, it was pretty odd. Um, you know, the first time I was ever, you know, I actually started writing in college, uh, wrote for the college newspaper, covered a little college basketball, but mostly tennis, which 
I was terrible at because I'd never went to a tennis match. But fortunately, my next door neighbors were two girl tennis players. And so I would just holler at them to kind of get the, the info and write, you know, a couple hundred words just to appease my college teacher. Um, but I was uh, working for the local newspaper as a photographer, the local newspaper in Cookville, Tennessee, Tennessee Tech. And they, uh, one day they're like, hey, Tennessee Tech is playing University of Kentucky in basketball, you know, tomorrow night, we need a photographer. Do you want to go? You ride up there with our, our sports writer. So I did that and um, I'm sitting on the, uh, the floor at Rupp Arena the sidelines shooting pictures this is in i remember this is the tony delk era so it's soon to be their championship run era and uh and i'm sitting there thinking holy shit man this is a pretty cool job this is a really good gig i think this is what i want to do i was at the time taking some writing classes but also uh, in the education department mainly it's going to be a teacher i come back home and I'm like, I think I know what I'm going to do. Screw all that, you know, teaching stuff. And uh, I, I got my degree in journalism. You know, I did that. Uh, I I did a, my internship with the Tennessee Titans, uh, which was pretty cool. Didn't learn a damn thing. Uh, went up there on Sundays and put together PR packets and stuff for, for the Titans and then sat there and watched the game and ate, went down to the locker room. I did inter I did learn how to interview people because – you know, I, I went to the locker room after every game and interviewed uh, either the defense or the offense, depending on what I was assigned that day. And basically all I did was get quotes for the for the pool reporters and brought them back upstairs, had them transcribed, put them in the file and left. So it was, uh, you know, pretty easy gig for the working for the Titans. But in uh, I guess it was when I graduated college in 98, I got a job at LaSalle, Illinois, at the local newspaper, uh, you know, four miles from LaSalle Speedway. So I started going out to LaSalle Speedway because nobody at the local newspaper wanted to cover the sport. They were afraid they'd get their shoes dirty and, and all this nonsense. And so they're like, you like that stuff? And I'm like, yeah, you don't cover it? And they're like, well, you know, we've got a person out there who we've got a person out there who sends us the results and covers it for us. But if you want to go, you can. That's why I'd certainly want to go, especially during the big shows. So I was covering the races at LaSalle and keep in mind, I'd already written, I was already been writing for, uh, I started freelancing for racing news, basically just to get in free to the races in 90, 1990 or 91. Uh, I'd written, I'd, I, I so I'd been writing about racing as well as everything else for a long time. And, um, uh, and so, but I, I realized that like Kyle said, you don't realize that you, I didn't realize you could possibly get a job doing this. And it's not so much that the opportunities weren't available. It's the fact that they didn't pay very well. So you could probably get a job somewhere if you want to make like $10,000 a year or something at some of these little papers, racing papers or trade papers, but none of them, you know, at the time they were, most of them were ran by one or two people and they were really short staffed because they couldn't afford to pay anybody and because it costs a lot to travel to these events and stuff. So you go to all these, all these races basically for free, you know, and, and just to get in. So I was writing and sending them reports. So I was honing my craft and, uh, I got a job out of college as a sports writer at the LaSalle newspaper, which led me, strangely enough, to meeting Michael Rigsby, who was this young college kid. I was in uh, Bernie. Uh, I was I was wherever you said I was. Uh, uh, Redbird Arena, Illinois Redbird State. Arena. Okay, I was covering the. I was covering a basketball tournament. Was probably and, like the uh, girl. Was it girls like? elite eight or something like that i thought it was i actually thought it was like the boys final Sweet 16 four. yeah it was a championship it was either a christmas tournament or the championship of the boys because we had a local team down there um I, I remember the kid that played that it was bureau valley bureau valley high school was playing the state tournament so if it wasn't the state so tournament, was this like it 2001 was, 2000 no this was in 19 uh this was in 1999 Okay, 99-2000. They actually beat Prairie Central Fairbury School in the Elite Eight. So it was in Peoria then, maybe. Well, 
Michael Rigsby swears it wasn't. Well, he's he's burnt. He don't know. So anyway, we met somehow at this gym in Illinois, and I'm wearing a CJ Rayburn jacket, and I'm in a press conference, and this kid comes up and tugs on my jacket, kind of, kind of pokes me on the back of the shoulder, and I turned around, and uh, he said, "Hey, you like you like racing? You like dirt racing?" I'm like, "Yeah, you know, I kind of grew up in the sport. I love it. You know, it's my passion." He's like, you know, cool. I like it too. And we kind of struck up a like five minute conversation there and then press conference is over. We, we go our separate ways. So in 2010, I am covering a race at Eldora for dirt on dirt and I'll leave the hotel room. It's uh, I won't say it's me and Rigsby and Ben Shelton and, uh, and Joshua Joyner who I think was working full-time for Dirt on Dirt at the time. I was actually up there uh, uh, filling in for Todd. And so we get in the car, and we're driving from the hotel to um, to the racetrack, and Rigsby turns around and says, Robert, you know, do you remember the first time we met? I said, man, I have no clue. I don't I don't really remember. And he said, and he told me, you know, he, he re- remembered that moment, you know. We, you know, Rigsby really does have a pretty good memory. He remembered that. And uh, I said, no shit, man, that was you? And he's like, yeah. And so he remembered us meeting. And when he told me the story, I, of course, remembered it immediately because I remember what I was wearing. I remember everything about it. And it's not every day you're in a basketball gymnasium like that and somebody comes up and and asks you about dirt racing. But I was wearing my Rayburn jacket. And uh, so, so that's how I met Rigsby years ago. Well, after that, just, you know, a year or two after that's when I went to National Dirt Digest over in North Carolina. And, uh, and that's when I met Todd, because that's where, that's where Todd worked. And, uh, and Todd was, Todd has really been a, a wonderful mentor uh, uh, to me because uh, I worked beside him there for just a little bit over a year before I went back home and helped with a family business. But um, I met him there and, and he came over to my house every Tuesday night uh, with me and my wife and ate dinner, me and my wife and, and my daughter had a, my daughter was two years old at the time. Uh, so that was a wonderful learning experience too. It put me on the road. And, and at that moment you look up and you think, oh my gosh, I never in a million years dreamed I could get paid for doing this and actually support my family. Uh, it was, it was, it was amazing. Uh, and I have to thank Brian and, and Carolyn McLeod for giving me the opportunity, you know, to do this, to do, to get out and explore and, 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 and expand my horizon, so to speak. Uh, but then, you know, I left, went back home, was helping with a family business and immediately within a few months became a, a, a sports editor at, at a local newspaper, did that for 10 years. Then I became a, a, a publisher at another newspaper, did that for four years. So I worked for the exact same company for 14 years before this job, which I was already writing some stuff and getting paid. I started my blogs for started my blogs for dirt on dirt in like 2010 or 2012, somewhere in that neighborhood. I can't remember one of the two, but so I'd already been freelancing and helping Todd at, at dirt on dirt. And I saw Todd at, at, um, summer nationals race in Indiana. And, uh, I guess it was tri state. And he, I guess, you know how Todd was always, you know, every one of us know Todd when he gets kind of flustered or, or somebody does something stupid in this sport, which is often. And he just looked up me and shook his head. He goes, this sport is the dumbest. You know, we've all heard Todd say that. And, and, uh, I'm like, yeah, what's up? He goes, I don't know this blah, blah. He was kind of complaining about tri-state or whatever. And I said, Todd, if you would hire me, you wouldn't even have to be here today. And he looked at me and he said, would you really like to work here? I said, hell yes. I was, I was over my job where I was working because I was doing so much because I was a publisher of this small newspaper. You know, I had to handle all the financials, the advertising. I had to, I had to answer to corporate. I had a lot on my plate and I was just over it. 14 years with that company and very few raises. And it was, you know, I just were, I wasn't going anywhere with that company. And I'm like, absolutely. I need a change. And so he's like, well, I got a job that you'd probably be good at, but you'd probably hate it. 
And I said, okay. And he's like, he was really busy. You know, he's like, let us get sorted here and, and I'll, I'll get in touch with you later. So I'm like, okay. So I held out hope, didn't hear anything for several weeks. And I held out hope about six months later, you know, he's like, Hey, I think we, I think we got a spot for you. You know, I'm like, no joke. And so I told the people that were working with me working, you know, like I said, I was the publisher. So I told people working under me there, I said, you know, I've got this situation and if it ever pans out, I'm gone. I'm out of here and I do not have to leave a notice because this is to me working in this industry. When I went to national dirt digest, I'll tell everybody. In fact, when I left to go to national dirt digest and I was at the, the newspaper in LaSalle, Illinois, my boss quit the day before I did. And he's like, please don't tell him you're quitting. Let me tell him first. So he quit. And within two days, they came and offered me his job and a, and a $5,000 a year raise. So I was going to be, I could have been the, the uh, uh, sports editor of that newspaper. And I, I had to be honest, you know, I said, I've, I've taken this job in North Carolina. And quite frankly, it is a dream job. It's a dream job doing this. I, I don't, this is not the easiest job. We eat terrible food. We're on the road late. We're away from our families. But I think we'll all admit that it is a dream job and it would take a whole lot to get us to go in a different direction. So when I went to uh, the National Dirt Digest, I was taking what I, I considered a dream job. Uh, I'd interviewed for a, a position almost a year prior, uh, a sports writing position with the Tennessean in Nashville. Well, about two months after I'd moved to North Carolina, they called and offered me a job. I said, I can't quit this. This is a, this is a dream job. So, you know, fast forward 15 years later and I get this job again, I consider it a dream job. You know, it's, it's, it is, uh, it's not, like I said, it's not easy. You're away from your families so you miss some of the stuff, but I've, uh, I've always made a point to try to be with my kids, you know, and, and see their sports and stuff. And I've been fortunate in that regard in terms of getting to do that. And, you know, the people here that we work with are very, um, are great to work with in terms of, of making sure that you see or, or with your family on the important times. And, and uh, that's very appreciative as well. So, so yeah, I mean, I think we all have a dream job here and, and it's really unique how we all kind of, came about it in different ways that was riveting stuff there robert i cannot believe that you met all those guys you know just through through just the years like peoria civic center for a state tournament rigsby and then obviously working with todd multiple times throughout your historic career i will say historic career you know hall of fame career <laughs> that's that the only the only hall of famer i know here is todd turner well not officially yet I don't know how. I don't know what I have to do to get them in, but oh well. Yeah. Um, it was great to hear all your guys' origin stories. Hope you guys enjoyed mine as well. Uh, Kovac, we'll let you lead off because you haven't talked in like 28 minutes between you know McFadden and Robert telling their origin stories. So what's uh, what's uh, what's your uh, one more thing? One more thing. Wait, wait a minute. I gotta think here. I'm not. It's been a, yeah. I'm not sure of what I could say here. It's been a while. I, I haven't had enough time to think about this. No, joking, joking there. Uh, but there's one thing I'll, I'll just mention. Uh, now that, um, we did, uh, I, I just saw it about a week ago, like when, when we're talking about when, as we're talking now, but Austin Kirkpatrick, that driver from, uh, Ocala, Florida driver, but he's actually, uh, lives in, in, uh, Charlotte area now. Uh, he's been building his AK race cars the last few years and even won a race with it a few years ago. He's got some de definitely interesting ideas about how to build race cars and, uh, He's been wanting to try to do something to be able to like kick it up a little bit more and and race more to learn more and, and build better race car because he really hasn't been able to race all that much with the his equipment with the with his resources and now he's teaming up with Gr Smith and the Team Twenty Two Incorporated team for uh, 2023. Uh, Gr is going to bring him a lot, help him uh, have a little more resources, a little more equipment, to a little more stuff, parts and everything and backing to go out there and race more. And he's going to help them also be able to develop that AK race car into the future. And like, they're hoping that they have a good uh, uh, relationship together. I mean, they parked together at the world finals at Charlotte back in November. Uh, so there was something brewing already there. And also uh, a, 
uh, Austin has a lot of, he does have a lot of knowledge there. He's a very smart guy and he's going to help uh, GR Smith in the uh, team 22 car with Peyton Freeman driving on the world of outlaws uh, in 2023 also. So hopefully we'll see how that, we'll see how that goes. And Austin would hope that it goes to the point where maybe uh, he can start building chassis in the, in the future. That's kind of his dream job, I guess uh, you could say. Uh, so again, just keep an eye on that. See how that develops over 2023. I think he's told us several times, Kovac, the only reason he's still racing because he just wants to win a race at Eldora in the World 100. That's yeah. like it. He tells us that all the time. That's like the reason that motivates him to keep going on. Uh, my one more thing is it happened, you know, today while we're recording or yesterday, but when we hear this a couple of weeks ago, Kovac and I are always fans of drivers living outside their element, you know, like family photos, you know, kids sporting events, stuff like that. But I mean, how about that trip? We got to see the, you know, they missed you by a day, Kovac. Key West, we had Brian Shirley, Kyle Bronson, Mark Whitener, and Tyler Herb. All four of them went to the Key West with their lovely ladies. We got some action shots. We have a great photo of uh, Brian Shirley and Kyle Bronson, like looking at each other's eyes while parasailing. They went to the southernmost <laughs> point in the intercontinental United States. I just love those photos. And people, believe it or not, Drivers actually do have personal lives, so it was great to see them get a nice vacation, well-deserved for all those guys before kicking off 2023. Kovac, I know you love those photos when you see them oh, outside yeah. their element of racing. Yeah, it is funny. I mean, yeah, you see me, even Shirley's putting on his wetsuit to go, uh, you know, go diving there, and he has, like, he's showing the guns, right? Did you see that one, oh, uh, yeah. Derek? You know, they're at the they're at the drag show. I mean, they, I don't, they were... I'm not sure the deal was. I mean, I saw that they also got a picture of them all getting massages. All the guys. It was like the, the all the the women said, "Yeah, our our, our men are all out, out there getting massages at this point." So they've experienced everything, and uh, that was pretty fun. I mean, I miss. I would have been funny to be. I, I missed them literally by one day. Uh, we were my wife and I were down there, and then we took off right before they got there. That'd have been something to see four late model drivers walking down Duval Street and beers in hand and stuff. And uh, one other funny thing, I I sent him a Facebook message to uh, Mark Whitener's wife Bridget because I saw some of her pictures. She had a picture of this cat uh, that she took on the on Duval Street, and it was so funny because I'm like, man, that cat looks. I took a picture of the same exact cat uh, while I was there, like two days earlier, <laughs> I had a little tag on it says, "Don't feed me, I'm fat." So it was easy to tell. It was easy to say easy to pick out that it was the same cat and she laughed about it too. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, but they, they certainly did have a good time. They looked like they were living it up, uh, you know, in Key West for a few days. Hell yeah. I hope they had enjoyed their nice vacation before 2023 kicks off. What pretty much next week, guys, uh, Kyle McFadden, what do you got, buddy? I know before we get to the new, new year, 2023, you look pumped up, getting ready to spill the beans here. Well, Appalachian mountain speed week. Uh, spear edit by the Bernheisels, uh, Jim Bernheisel, uh, Brian Bernheisel, Brandon Bernheisel up here in Pennsylvania, uh, f- filling out their schedule. They just added uh, Path Valley Speedway Park on Tuesday, June 13th uh, to their, now it's uh, s- seven races on their schedule. I believe they're looking for an eighth on Wednesday, June 14th. So uh, it's cool to see uh, that eight race, uh, 10 day mini series of return for the first time since I think 2017. So I know we had mentioned it, um, two weeks ago on the podcast here, but, uh, just saw that, uh, path, path Valley, the quarter mile up in Pennsylvania, one of the few bull rings, true bull rings that we have here in the, uh, half mile laden, uh, Pennsylvania area. So it's uh, good to see some super lay models or we'll, we'll be good to see some super lay models uh, on the, uh, on the, on the tight confines of, of path Valley speedway park come June 13th. Yeah. AMS was kind of going out the, you know, out the door, the back door when I first started, they had some great races there. I think like the first two or three years in, went away so great to see that you know coming back in 2023 should be a good time robert finishing off the one more final thing of 2022 what do you got well first i want to ask kyle if he ever thinks that we're on like the the Derek 
and, and Kevin show rather than than the dirt reporters cod, uh, podcast the way that those two like go back and forth with each other I mean it's like a bromance that that is that I just I just could only dream to be a part of oh Robert the, the way that the way that like, I motivate Derek, you at like, speedwakes the, the way that like Derek will say something and he'll throw it back to, he'll throw it back to Kevin and then and then Kevin says something and Derek has this great rebuttal it's it's really awesome and it, it's 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 great and I and I'm sure that I'm sure everyone likes it so uh anyway it's a great bromance that is not my one more thing though all right uh, good actually my one more thing is uh is that I just want everyone to be aware of the continuing uh schedules that get dropped that we continue every time we get one we uh we put it in our system we try to get a dirt wire out there if it's if it's especially if it's one of the bigger tours uh I think uh just just last week in fact we got the uh, um Ironman South deal and uh, I know that Chris Tilly has hoped to get his Ironman North uh tour out by the end of the year if he hasn't already so that's that's coming up so just be on the lookout I know that there's no races but the schedules are dropping and we're doing our our absolute best, even though down this uh, during this little down period, to get those schedules up on on the website. I know that uh, Kyle, Kevin, and myself, and Todd, who is about to be back from vacation, we're all working diligently to make sure that those schedules get input into our system for everybody to check out and plan twenty twenty three because it's going to be bigger than twenty twenty two. I have a feeling. Yeah, and you I just, know I love you guys. I love you guys. I know. Otherwise, happy. Uh, so you know, I just want to wish say everyone I like a happy to, I like new to year. Take jabs at you. I like to. I like to poke. So you know, no, I, I still right. love you. It's all right. I motivate you at Speed Weeks. You know, to, you know, improve I your mean, lifestyle. So I, I don't feel bad at all. Kevin missed out on the flow offsite. I mean, Robert and I were on the same team for our, our team building uh, session down in Austin, Texas. So you know, Robert and I also had some opportunities to. Uh, you know, build this bond, you know, too. So, and to um, talk about you guys behind your back. And that's perfect. That's good. That's all right. That's good. Hope you, hope you, I don't know how you did. Did you win? Hope you won. I don't even think we placed top 10, Robert. No, oh, we come on. We, we, there were 45 teams and, and we sucked. I'm sure, I'm sure we're in a top 50 percentile, but we, you didn't get sucked. last though, because otherwise it. they would have brought you up there. So, congrats that's on true. not getting last. My team didn't. Kovac was out getting ladies in uh, Key West so with his lady, Lori. So, all right. Well, just want to wish everybody a happy new year. Uh, 2023 will be here before you know it. Vado's coming up. Uh, the Ice Bowl's coming up. It's hard to believe that we'll be kicking off 2023 in just a matter of like a handful of days. So, uh, till then, be sure to check out all the best ofs. Be sure to check out um, the stories, articles, blogs by these three because they do a great job every single week. I love and love reading it. Love going on the toilet in the morning, you know, hanging out and reading all your guys' stories. So it's been great, great stuff this year. And hope you guys can continue that next year. <laughs> this is the final Dirt Reporters podcast for 2022. What a way to end it. Until next time, this is the Dirt Reporters. Thank you for listening.